You're listening to Don't Mind the Gap, the future of real estate investing. My name is Emra Al-Kirwi and I will be your host in this podcast series where we will meet world-class real estate professionals and get insights into the tech side of real estate. We will learn how to combine traditional knowledge with new ways to develop real estate and invest in it. Thank you for all the feedback since the launch of this podcast. If you're looking for investment opportunities or if you have a business proposal, don't hesitate to send me a message and I'll refer you to each other. In this episode, I'm meeting Franz Dörr, founder and CEO of Flatfair, a UK-based and fast-growing prop-tech and fintech company focused on innovative deposit solutions. We'll talk about their journey from early funding stages to the latest round of 11 million US dollars how they approach investors and what kind of investors that are relevant, and also some valuable advice both for entrepreneurs and real estate professionals, such as an interesting new business idea and a great software tip. Enjoy. Hello, Franz Dörr, and welcome to this podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Can you please tell us about yourself and Flatfair? Yeah, so I guess you can maybe tell from my accent, I'm not from the UK. I'm originally from the south of Germany, actually, which a lot of people probably associate with uh, beer and schnitzel, <laughs> which we do like actually a lot in Bavaria. But yeah, I actually grew up in a very small village, not too far from Munich. And, you know, went to university in Germany, initially focused mostly on, on finance. Started my career with a bank about seven years ago, initially in Frankfurt, where, where I worked and then uh, made a move to London about five years ago, still with the bank. And looking for, you know, always looking for obviously new opportunities. I've always been a very, I would say, entrepreneurial spirit, walking through the world with open eyes. And um, approximately three years ago, I was in a situation where I moved um, flat in London. I moved from a place in Pimlico, which is in West London, to um, a place a bit more central. And uh, I was in a typical situation that many, many renters face, millions of renters face every, every year where you move into a new property, you have a lot of outgoings. And these outgoings include the rent that you have to pay. Usually you pay one month's rent up front in, in the UK. You know, you have to pay a large deposit, which is actually the largest single payment of all transactions that, you know, you have to make when you move into a new home. You pay agency fees, which now luckily have been kept with new regulation that just came into place. Then you have to pay for furniture, you have to pay for moving. It's a lot of money that hit me at this point. And in my specific case, I had to wait for three months to get my previous deposit back, which didn't make it any better, obviously didn't. Is that quite rare or does it um, happen, happen it, often? It happens actually quite a lot. Mm. Uh, it happens quite a lot that the tenants struggle to get their money back. Um, oftentimes, well, it really depends also on the landlord. Obviously, oftentimes you also have a situation where landlords withhold the money on purpose because they think that you obviously have to find money for a new deposit, which they know that you might just agree to a higher charge just to get some money back. All of these things can now be mitigated with Bladfair. So when I was in this situation three years ago, it really made me think there must be a better and fairer and more honest way of dealing with this situation. There must be a way of creating a technology solution that removes the need to pay such a large deposit so reduce the upfront cash requirement for tenants, but at the same time, provide a better experience and a better product for landlords as well, give them better payout terms, give them a better protection than a normal deposit would, and at the same time, streamlining the whole process. And uh, yeah, so within six weeks, I quit my job at the bank. <laughs> would you say that 
it was a good timing or if you would do it again, would you quit later or before? Yeah, I think um, if you really want to make something work, then it requires your full focus. Mm. I mean, everybody might be different and I don't, you know, I don't have the answers to all questions. But for me personally, I think it was great that I just moved and put all my eggs into one basket, at least for a while. Mm. <laughs> and then um, initially worked uh, on this by myself for a few months and then was joined a few months later by Daniel, my co-founder, who's also our CEO. Daniel at this point worked uh, as a marketing consultant with uh, a company called Criteo. Previously, he worked with Google and he is now in charge of partnerships. So uh, in charge of sales, account management, marketing, customer support. Mm. In the early days, uh, I actually built a tech myself. Wow. So I actually used the platform, so I don't want to do any marketing, but I used a platform called Bubble.io, yeah. which is an object-based programming platform where even someone like me who doesn't have specific tech knowledge can basically build a platform where you can effectively have work streams and you can create a certain logic that is quite sophisticated. Okay. So Bubble.io. Bubble.io, And it's yeah. still... Uh, it's still there. Yeah. So I can really recommend that in the early days, it's a, it's a great way to get something, get a product, to get some early user testing, right? Get some early opinions from, which we did very early on from landlords, agents, and, and tenants, just kind of have, have, have a bit of an experience. So, which means that at night I was kind of, uh, of I was improving the app we were building, and during the day we put on a suit and we're trying to sell a product <laughs> <laughs> to to property firms. Yeah, but you well, fulfill the saying that you really have to go through the the, the need of the idea yourself. So it started yeah. with your personal need, mm. and then keep it lean. Mm. Because initially we bootstrapped the company, so we didn't have any initial investment. About nine months in, Bartosz joined us, who is our CTO and co-founder, who was previously a game developer, so he worked with companies like Gamesys and King. And he then took what I have built to this point and translated it into proper technology, because obviously what we built was not particularly <laughs> nice. And then very shortly after, we did raise our angel round. So okay. we raised a small round. Before um, we get into that, how many are you today? So today, counting everybody in, we are approximately 35. Mm, employees. But growing, yeah, employees growing very quickly. Yeah. And we want to grow to about 90 by the end of the, of the year. Okay. Yeah. So I will be hiring across different teams with the, with the majority focus on commercial roles, which is more in the business development and account management side, but also on the product side. So where mm. we hire engineers, data scientists, designers. Mm. So it's about, you know, on the one hand side, getting to the next milestone commercially, but at the same time, you know, improving our customer experience, be working on other products that will be launched and communicated in due course. Yeah. And you'll still be based in London. Yes. Yes. Would you say that you're a prop tech or a fintech company? So we, it's, it's interesting. So we, does it even matter? I think it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking you know, of uh, about market possibilities, investors, current fields of interest, etc. I mean, yeah, I mean, we obviously are at a very interesting point which sits somewhere between fintech and proptech. But I would, in the end of the day, say proptech is a very interesting phenomenon. What I miss a little bit is that the focus is too much on building something, but less so based on actually solving an actual problem. Mm. So there are not a lot of proptech firms out there that are actually solving a, an actual problem. And I think that is the big challenge. Okay. Whilst when you look into fintech or on the fintech side of things, you find a lot of firms and where I would also include us that actually have identified a, a clear customer need, a clear market inefficiency, 
that you're looking to solve with technology. Mm. So I always believe in solving a problem instead of like creating technology and then creating a problem. Yeah. yeah. So you're looking at the must-have, not the nice-to-have. Absolutely, only must-have. Yeah. And um, with Flatfair, obviously, the fundamental um, idea is to say, look, there's uh, always, unfortunately, there's always a shortage in liquidity. Mm. For renters, because just living in big cities like London, but also outside of London. By the way, about more than half of um, our client base is not uh, London-based. Uh -huh. So they're all across the country. Okay. So it's not a pure London product. And that, that shows that, look, you know, you spend half of your income on rent. Mm -hmm. So it's such a big outgoing. And that's why kind of like people are always shorting cash. And we, we can kind of like help to alleviate the strain mm -hmm. a little bit. As you mentioned, you've completed three investment rounds. Can you please take us through that uh, journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, in the early days, we so the first year we didn't have any investment. We bootstrapped out of our own savings, um, and then in November 2017, we did our first angel round from friends and families. What we did there was um, actually there's uh, from Harvard Business School. There's like an alumni investor association. How did you find them or get in touch with them? So we met one of them at an event, at a PropTech event actually, who then introduced us and he was actually a member of the committee and they introduced us and there were a lot of companies applying and they have like a yearly investor event where you can pitch. So we went through the different stages and then we made it into the final. So we were pitching with another three companies and then three out of those Harvard uh, alumni invested. And that kind of built the foundation for our age round, which mm. is great. And they're still very much engaged today. So I'm very thankful, um, you know, we got them on board. A lot of, uh, tons of helpful advice, obviously, and their network, right? Mm. So we closed this smaller round and that gave us enough resources to go close our first client, go to market, make our first hire. Mm. To get us to a state where we were able to raise a seed round, which was last year approximately in the summer, where we raised about 1.3 million, a little bit more pounds, again, from mostly private investors. So what we did is we did not raise from institutional investors too early. We, even when you look at it, we didn't even have a shareholder agreement until recently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we kept everything quite simple and straightforward. Mm. And that is something I can definitely recommend to other startup founders as well. Keep it as simple. Mm. Don't raise too much too early because if you raise too much too early, the expectations are going to be massive. Mm -hmm. So find your product market fit, take your time. So you shouldn't get too flattered when no, investors throw money not. at you. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, take your time, build initial traction, understand your market, understand your customer, build trust. We obviously operate in the B2B space a lot so because we use a B2B2C sales approach. We partner with property firms and property firms, you partner only with property firms if you have a certain reputation. Because you don't just come around the corner and then, you know, they, they sign a partnership deal with you. Mm, mm. And these things just take time. Yeah. yeah, so we raised in stages and obviously we more recently finalized our Series A race, which was our first institutional round. And how much did you... So we, we raised a total of 11 million US dollars mm. and the round was uh, led by, by Index Ventures and other co-investors included uh, Revolt Ventures which is um, part of Maya Bergman, yeah. um, a great real estate private equity firm, great people. I mean, I'm, I'm, I really enjoy working with them already. Yeah. They've been, like, even within weeks or months, been already super helpful. Wow, cool. And other investors uh, include also Adi Winter. You might actually know them. I think they're actually um, very active in the Nordics. Okay. Yeah. They um, own a lot of marketplaces, mm. um, and not just in the, in the real estate space. 
Okay. So they have been introduced by to do my research after. You do your research, yeah. They were initially part, called, I think, Shipstead Marketplaces. Ah, okay, then I know. Shipstead is, Shipstead is a big, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. And then a few other angel investors who were involved. So, for example, we had um, Tarvet from Transferwise, uh, who founded Transfer, co-founded Transferwise. We had Greg, who co-founded One Fine Stay. So, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a really cool group of investors to have on board who can really help us to get, I think, to the next milestone. Mm. Is that an important factor for you to get the know-how in addition to the money? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are different components, right? There's the, the component of network to other property companies. So can someone potentially help us to make some helpful introductions, right? So because everything we do is warm, we don't ever do cold approaches because we just didn't feel that this particularly works well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the firms we partner with, they have a, a roadmap. Everybody has limited resources and things that they actually put their time into. So that is a, a big f- deciding factor. And then obviously on the other hand side, like getting input on how to build a successful company and, you know, the best people who can tell you that are those who have done it before. Uh, so that's kind of what we were going after. And then um, the third thing was around hiring. So building a senior team, you know, making these hiring decisions is something that I haven't done previously. So it was it's great to kind of get that from also investors like Index, you know, who have built big companies, IPO. I think they were one of the funds who had the most IPOs this or last year. So, yeah, I think they have done it to help companies become successful previously, and we hope we can repeat and be a similar success. You're listening to Don't Mind the Gap, the future of real estate investing. If you have any tips on interesting guests or other inquiries, please send me an email to emro at don'tmindthegap.com or message me on LinkedIn. Thank you. What would you say distinguishes you from your competitors uh, mm-hmm. like Reposit and uh, Canopy? Yeah, so, so first of all, it's great to see that there are other firms who are tackling this and everybody's doing it in a different way. What makes us unique, and I can only speak obviously for us, is that um, we are a true technology company. Everything that we do and build is backed up by technology and, and where there's a clear angle. So for example, our competitors are selling insurance products. We are not selling an insurance product for various reasons because we find insurance products in general very difficult to deal with. We see that there's a lot of regulatory headaches and we also believe that it sets the wrong incentives if a tenant buys an insurance product. Mm-hmm. For example, they might not look after the property um, if they know that they're insured. They might be missold by an agent because some of these products are then being introduced or sold by a letting agent. With us, we are effectively a payment platform mm-hmm. where we allow landlords and tenants to settle any end of tenancy charges directly through our platform. Mm-hmm. Right? And we never ensure in any way anyone um, and the tenant at any point remains fully liable to pay for any rent or any damages whatsoever. And I think that makes us very unique compared to our competitors who are selling insurance products. If you start something else than Flatfair, what would you do? I'm sure some business ideas have passed by. Yeah, so there's something, that I, there's one company that um, I find really fascinating, um, and it's a company called WageStream. Have you heard of WageStream previously? No, please tell me. So it's effectively a solution where employees of companies can get access to their salaries earlier. So normally you wait obviously always until the end of the month, until you get paid, maybe on the 28th or last Friday of the month. And with WageStream, you can effectively get paid earlier in the month. So the way it works is that the company pays the salary to WageStream, obviously at the end of the month. But already before that, obviously since WageStream knows that the salary will come by the company, they effectively advance 
the payment on an accrued basis mm -hmm. um, and always then charge a small transaction fee whenever somebody actually draws down on the salary. And I think that's a really cool way to get around all of these payday lenders mm -hmm. who are exploiting uh, employees in exchange for a small fee. I think that has huge potential because you can effectively become the bank for employees yeah. and you get access to so many customers through a very efficient channel, which is the employers. Mm. That's excellent. This is who's paying the fee? The employee or the employer? The employee pays a fee. So they always pay a drawdown fee. So it's it's not apparently it's not considered interest. So it's also non-regulated. Uh, it's not a lending yeah. uh, transaction, which is amazing. So I think you have obviously wage stream, which, I, which is the company uh, I was referring to um, in the UK, but you have similar companies in the US. I think there are still a lot of markets where such a solution doesn't exist, but it's, it's needed. Mm, interesting. So I think that's what I would be doing if I, okay. if I had some time. <laughs> Good advice. Let's see if uh, payment yeah. companies uh, for employers will pop up. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any advice for traditional real estate professionals who are not tech savvy? You know, I think um, you have more and more traditional firms who establish innovation hubs. And I, I haven't really seen it working so far. First of all, it's a really good first step, but um, it is a very, very difficult one. And the reason, and I'm always asking myself, why does it not work? And I think it's because uh, you have to think radically different. So even if you, let's say, create an innovation hub, doesn't change. If, if that's all you do, um, it's not going to be enough um, because the governance of the company and the decision making is still lacking and it's probably going to be slow. Mm. But if you deal with innovation, you you have to be able to get something from you know testing to a first MVP very, very quickly. So what I can recommend to property companies is you have to create such an innovation hub, but you have to give them a broader mandate so they can do much more without having to get approvals and sign-offs mm. from the actual, you know, traditional real estate business. Yeah. Um, I think that is what I would kind of recommend to the classical real estate players. Just give them a broader mandate and let them do more. Mm. Do you have any examples of cases that have been working? No, I think I have only examples of cases who don't work, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm not going to refer to. All right, no. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I have five final questions that everyone gets. What companies are cutting edge uh, in the PropTech industry, according to you? I think there are some really cool companies um, out there who who evolve specifically around how to you know leverage data and how to also potentially create a, a standard set of data. There's, for example, um, a company called um, Unisu from James James, um, Deersley. James Deersley, which I think is a, it's a really cool concept um, and, I, and I really like. There are other companies like Realize, yeah. um, which which is which I think is, is pretty cool, and I'm also very much impressed by the founder. Another very interesting play is everything around instant referencing. So we have partnered up with a company called Movem, which was recently acquired by Homelet. Mm. I think largest tenant and landlord referencing and insurance provider in the UK. Mm. So they basically act like a true layer. So you can effectively use their technology to instantly reference tenants through their bank accounts, which we now offer through Flatfair. Mm. So this is massive. Like I think this can be an absolute game changer. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So it was around data mm. uh, and, and payments. Mm. What do you think is the next big thing within real estate and tech? <laughs> That's always a good question, right? I believe, you know, when I, when I look in our industry, it's about, um, there are so many different platforms solving so many different little things and nobody has really managed to get the whole tenancy experience like from a lettings perspective into one platform. Mm. And that is something that, that we are looking to build. Mm. So um, 
we want to become the operating system for renting and we want to help our partners out there, which are landlords and agents. Um, we want to help them to streamline processes around the tenancy. And I think that will be, we believe, the next big thing is like getting that rental transaction in one place uh, and making it super seamless for everyone, cost efficient, whilst creating revenue opportunities um, for our partners. Mm. As nobody has done that. And this is super interesting also, not even locally. So mm. building such a solution and become known for being that marketplace would be would be very interesting. What do you think the reason is? No one um, I think uh, it's timing in a way. So you have the technologies out there. Many property firms are still a bit traditional, but they are evolving. So a few companies have tried it and haven't managed to do it for different or various reasons. So I think you have to just get the timing right, that there's enough appetite um, and willingness to change. You know, and if you then have a product that is easy to integrate with, I think that you stand and has uh, the, the right economics and incentives for all parties who are involved in the traditional transactions or the agents, the tenants and the landlords, then I think you can move. Okay, interesting. Uh, what skills do you think are important when, uh, if you want to succeed as a prop tech entrepreneur or tech entrepreneur? Persistence. Persistence. Persistence and persistence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think it is about being able to push through even if things don't look great maybe they might look better tomorrow and literally just keep pushing is probably one of the i think key skills that every entrepreneur needs if they want to get to a certain stage and, and build some momentum just being able to accept the fact that things just take time where would you refer people if they'd like to learn more about real estate trends tech digitalization etc i mean there's a lot of um um, exciting stuff out there. Obviously, on the one side, you can uh, go to events. You have a lot of events here in London, so stuff like uh, Future PropTech. You have uh, other more traditional, so the Future PropTech events are more tied towards the, the tech community. What I always find good if you go to events where you also find actually industry partners. So, so oftentimes you, uh, you go to these tech events and then you're there with a bunch of other startups, but who you really want to talk to, I mean, I also want to talk to you guys mm. <laughs> out there, but uh, who you really want to talk to are like, you know, the real estate firms who are as potential partners. So go also to the more traditional events. If you work with estate agents, go to the Arla conference, you know, and I, I, yeah, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, and then obviously MIPIM in Cannes, we were there this year the first time and it was like one of my favorite events. Next year we go to Resi. Mm. Um, that's going to be an amazing event. I actually, that's been my favorite event last year. Okay. Yeah. What final words would you like our listeners to remember from this talk? I think um, that we, you know, like the whole environment is shifting, real estate, payments, and uh, there's a lot of uh, exciting times to come. And uh, I can't wait to see more wage streams <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the future. Thank you Thanks. very much, Francis. Thanks. Thanks.